0: good yeah everything's good. We're good I thought you were about to fart I was trying
1: to honestly <laughs> 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 ah, couldn't make it happen couldn't follow through
0: Hi, everybody. Oh, hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time
1: Stories.
0: A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and And not not yours. if this is your first time listening to the podcast, stop, stop. Go, go back. Start to the beginning. Start at the beginning. Episode one, grumble Thorpe to my mouth a little bit. Please, and thank you. I did meet some people at Josh and Laura's wedding this past weekend. So our own uh, Josh, Hawkins Josh Hawkins and Day Day Day. Day. Uh Josh, who has been on the show before, and we will be seeing him again this Gestoberfest. He was married this past weekend. Congratulations. To Dr. Laura. Um, Congratulations to the very happy couple. They're a lovely couple. And if you don't know, I actually met my partner through Josh and Laura. So that's very exciting. And I met some people at the wedding who were like, I'm going to listen to your podcast. So if you start at this episode, I appreciate you, but stop. Stop it and go back. You go check it out from the beginning. Exactly.
1: There's only 223 other episodes to get through. Yeah, come on. That's easy you got the time, right? Put it on. Just put it on in the background. Put it on while you work. Catch up. You know, Give get, us five get stars. Get to know us.
0: And then leave us a... Don't even wait to get to know us. Just Please leave us don't. a five-star review. Don't
1: get to know us. Leave us the five stars first yeah. and then get to know us. Uh,
0: but th- you can't change the score once you place it. So I will also say of Josh and Laura's wedding, because I spoke to you about it earlier before we came on, and it was really great. The cake cutting at the wedding is easily like the most boring part of the wedding, and their cake cutting was a show because everything with Josh and Laura is like is a party. Um, but it was a mashup of that song "Cake," where it's like it's not even my birthday, and I want it in the worst way. Cake, yeah. cake, 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 yes. cake. So it was that, and yes. that um, you need to cut it. Then the probably says, "Way too hard. You need to cut it. Cut it. Cut it." Cut it. It. So it was it those was like mashed up right to cut the cake. So that was really great. And Josh was like doing a great little dance around Laura, which she was not prepared for. And then they fed each other some cake, and it was a uh, it was You're a precious. good time, man. And I was like, wow, uh, really glad I didn't miss that cake cutting because that was that was also an entertaining part of the experience. They know how to throw a party, and they really put themselves in in every part of their wedding, and it was really cool. a good time. Yay! Congratulations again. Congratulations, Josh and Laura. Doctor Laura. Doctor Laura, yeah. get it right. She is a doctor, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she is like too humble to really like press it or tell people to call her doctor. So, like, I, you she's know, she's a doctor. A lot of her friends, right, are like, she is Doctor Laura. She's in Val's phone as Doctor Laura. She is Doctor Laura. Don't you forget, she's a doctor. Yeah, support. Yeah, she's a like that. a pediatric physical therapist. It's crazy. Yeah, Ooh. she's awesome. She's a cool lady, and I'm really excited. Yeah. For, for Josh and Laura.
1: That's so nice. Yeah.
0: And Josh, when you catch up, because he's, listening, he's from still the listening from the beginning.
1: Then he'll hear, uh, he'll last hear this, right? And this episode where we <laughs>
0: Congratulations. congratulate Congratulations.
1: And he'll be like, Oh my God, I got married a year ago. By he's the time, take by that the time that he long? gets to
0: this episode, sure. <laughs>
1: he'll be like,
0: Wow, I can't believe that was three years ago. <laughs>
1: Good lord. How slow <laughs> is he going? Does something happen? No.
0: Yeah, he's he was wedding planning. Oh <laughs> now he's honeymooning.
1: These now, right now, while we're to... right
0: while we're recording, so, so hopefully he'll catch up. That's what he's doing on his honeymoon. He's listening to us. Good, I'm sure. Good, <laughs> Sarah. Any any stuff from you? What's going on? Charlie had a birthday.
1: Charlie did have a birthday. Charlie's birthday Happy was on birthday, Friday. Charlie. Yes, we just you know we went axe throwing. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just been sort of hanging around, just doing work stuff.
0: When we had Mary Angela's birthday party, you brought zucchini fries from zucchini that you grew, and they oh, were really good. I did. I feel like you're just trying to pull up, be like, talk about yourself. I and am. Like, I'm like, Sarah, you've got stuff. Talk about you. I do have
1: some things, but I also feel like a lot of me is just trying to figure out what I want to do with my time, mm. and also that's real clean, and yeah, and try to figure all that out.
0: Yeah. I've, yeah, I've stepped away from a lot of performance stuff with the exception of what I already have booked, which is, of course, Halloween Nights.
1: Mr. Manager. I'm so
0: excited. I'm managing this year, so I'm not taking on any other stuff while I am doing Halloween Nights. And, yeah, it is, uh it's a lot. And I'm excited to, yeah. to be a part of something really cool that fun. I really like. And it fundraises a cause that I believe in and I support. And, yeah. It's cool. I like it. I'm excited. Yeah. If you're in the Philadelphia area,
1: come October time, head out and check it out. I'm excited to go this year. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. Uh, you can't get into the speakeasy unless you have a VIP ticket, but if you're in the know, let them know you're a friend of Judy. <laughs> and uh... and then they'll tell you to buy the VIP ticket next time you come, <laughs> and you'll be able to get in. <laughs>
1: But thanks for stopping by.
0: Try try offer code friend of Judy at the door. Try offer code dismember for 20% off. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm really excited about it. The only so far, I mean, I'm going to take another night off, but of the 32 show nights Currently, the only one I've scheduled to take off is my birthday, it's your birthday. which is October 7th. And it's a Friday and my brother and sister are coming ah, and they're going to come through Halloween nights and they're going to come see me at the speakeasy for the first time. And I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I know. It's going to be really cool. I want to find out when they're going. They're gonna go most likely October sixth, okay. Thursday before my birthday. Before if you want to also go that night,
1: mm, maybe you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure. Yeah. We'll figure it out off off air, off, off
0: air, off air. But yeah, y'all, that's the night I won't be there. So don't go looking for me. Don't try offer code friend of Judy on October seventh.
1: They'll be like, who is that? Who is she?
0: Who I don't know she? her.
1: But yeah. Yay! I'm excited. That's what's going on. The biggest thing we have happening is, y'all. We are. Oh my god, we're planning a few days closer to Guesttoberfest, which we always love. Guesttoberfest, we we're do. Just, we're really excited about the guests we have lined up. Yeah, I was gonna say we've got year. some awesome people lined
0: up. There's gonna be some cool things happening. Some of them have told us what their stories are gonna be, so it's gonna be. Really good. Um, I can't I'm wait. excited, yeah, for everything that we have planned. It's so keep cool.
1: tuning in for October. Get ready, because you we know Guesttoberfest is
0: always off the chain. We have guests every week of October, and we call it Guesttoberfest. And this year is our fourth I think we figured out it's our fifth. Our fifth? Because we started in 2018, didn't we? 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. This is our oh fifth Oh, my God. Year.
1: Yeah. What? It's the fifth Guesttoberfest. That's why we're going so big. How math? Oh, my God. Our Guesttoberfest is in kindergarten. (laughs) Y'all. We can get it out of the house for
0: most of the day now. I can't. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. So keep tuning in. Keep checking this out. But Guesttoberfest isn't until October. So you have a whole other month of just us, man. So I hope you like us. Yeah, get used to it. Get used to it, friends. And we're here.
1: If I could have fired on command, that's where it would have happened. I know. You tried. It just didn't. It didn't. And you
0: don't want to push it. Because you sure don't. Because that's when you poop yourself. Mm -hmm. And not you specifically, but like, you know, just anybody. Anyone. The the royal you. The royal you. Yeah, you get it.
1: (laughs) Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Hey, Leslie.
0: Y'all ready ready to talk talk about about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? What do you know about Jimmy Hoffa?
1: Wasn't he a mobster?
0: Right? Is that right? And I know it's spelled H-O-F-F-A. Yes. And there have been a few movies about him. Right. There was one with Jack Nicholson played him. And there was one called The Irishman, which is about somebody who supposedly was responsible for what may or may not have happened to him. Okay. But that's all you know about him was he was affiliated with the mafia is that right is he with the mafia he was but in a very interesting way Hmm. so mostly what he is known for um but his ties to the mafia helped him with this was he uh was a big labor union guy he was a guy who built the teamsters um and the teamsters are a big union labor group that holds up a lot of laborers, but they were really at that time into truckers specifically. Um, so people who did a lot of like ground travel, transportation of
1: long hauls and whatnot. everything, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Everything was going via train or via a uh, truck. So Jimmy Hoffa was born on Valentine's day which is February 14th in 1913. His father was of German descent, which now the group of people that he was from specifically, we call the Pennsylvania Dutch, which yeah, you're familiar with because we live in Pennsylvania, but uh, his mother was Irish and they were a working class family, right? Cause those were, especially at those times, a lot of working class people, Irish people were, were down there. Right? So his father died of lung cancer when he was seven years old. And when Jimmy was 14, he dropped out of school so that he could support the family. Gotcha. Right. Cause this was <laughs> what you did back then. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. That's not funny. But because that was it like makes
1: you uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable, like, God. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Uh so like 1927, he was like out of school and he was working. He said, I'm a man now. Yes. Gotta go to Gotta work. Gotta go home and work. Yeah, work for the family. So he was mostly working at grocery stores because he was a teenager, but even as a teenager, he was like really involved in union organization. So he was like, cool, like, I'm a laborer. I come from laborers. All my people are laborers. Like, I'm going to fight for the people. And he was really, like, recognized very early on for, like, how just he was very charismatic and he was very good at, like, speaking for people. Like, people were really into, like, listening to him. And they're like, yeah, like, get this guy out there. He'll convince them to... To support the union? Yeah, yeah. What this kid said. Right? So that like young, he was being influ like he was a big influence in um union culture around Detroit, which is where he was growing up at the time. And he was invited to be an organizer of local two ninety nine of the Teamsters. And this was like he was still really young, like in yeah, his late teens, like early twenties. Yeah. So the Teamsters were founded in 1903, and by, this, uh, by 1933, they had 75,000 members, okay? So it took about 30 years for them to get 75,000 members. He had joined the Teamsters in 1932, so the year before, and he worked with them for years. That was where he built his career. And over the next 20 years, he uh, consolidated local trucker unions into, like, a regional union, and then he built a larger national branch so he was like "Wow, building one giant union. Mm-hmm. And in the first 30 years, it took them to get 75,000 members, right? With the work that he was doing, um, by 1936, just three years later, they had 170,000 members, so almost wow. 100,000 more members. By 1939, 420,000 members. And he became the president of the chapter in 1949, and membership hit over a million by 1951. So he was like, a work in the damn thing. And he was really letting people know, like, we're stronger together, (laughs) like, let's be a union. Yeah. But also, that helped with like ties to the mafia. So he was working Uh, with people in the mafia, right? And he's like, we're stronger together, together. right? Like, we're one big team, you and I. The team serves. Like,
1: family. You guys like family a lot, right? Right, right. You get it. You get it.
0: Right. You understand. I get it. I get it. (laughs) So later, he rose to lead a combined group of Detroit area locals shortly afterwards, and they advanced to become the head of the Michigan Teamsters group. So he was leading the entire state. And Hoffa obtained a deferment from the military service in World War II during the draft because he was able to successfully make a case that his work as a labor union organizer was more important to the people of the nation and more valuable than he would be as a soldier.
1: All right, that's fair.
0: How about them apples? Yeah. (laughs) At least it wasn't because he went in and he was like, I'm flat-footed, I guess. I guess. (laughs) Right, no. He he was like, I'm right. He's like, I'm already, I'm doing more for the American people with what I'm doing as a labor union organizer than I would be, like, fighting over in, you know, Japan or wherever you're sending us to die where it's, you know, not going to work or whatever. Yeah.
1: So, (laughs) the I don't want to die out
0: there. Does that work? The Teamsters organized truck drivers and warehousemen throughout the Midwest and then nationwide. Hoffa played a major role in the union's skillful use of what they called quickie strikes, secondary boycotts, and other means of leveraging union strength at one company, then to move to organize the workers, and finally to win contract demands at other companies. That process, which took several years starting in the early 30s, eventually brought the Teamsters to a position of being one of the most powerful unions in the United States. Trucking unions in that era were heavily influenced by, and in many cases, controlled elements of organized crime because they moved everything, mm-hmm. right? So, for Hoffa to unify and expand trucking unions, he had to make accommodations and arrangements with many gangsters, beginning in the Detroit area. Organized crime influence on the IBT, which is the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, increased as the union itself grew. So, the union and the mob, of course, were like entrenched with one another. Yep. Which is how he became involved with them, right? Gotcha. Because he was really killing the union thing. And then he was like, well, if I want to keep helping the people, this is how I keep helping the people, but also, like, you know, myself a little bit too. Well, so the money's not so bad. <laughs> it's not right. Like, the kickbacks aren't bad at all. I like money. Huh. So, in 1952, Jimmy Hoffa was named as the nation vice president. So, he's the vice president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. So, he was second in command of the entire union. Wow. Um, and he was named the uh, vice president by the incoming president, a man named Dave Beck. This was in 1952. He became the full president when in 1957, five years later, Dave Beck was charged with embezzlement and labor racketeering. He was prosecuted by Robert Kennedy. Yes, the brother of John F. Kennedy. Oh, the very same. The very same. And during his trial, Dave Beck pleaded the Fifth Amendment 140 times. (laughs) Um, And because we know we've got a lot of listeners in the UK... we have a lot of international listeners. Um, One, two, three, four. Pleading yeah. the fifth amendment is it's a right that gives you uh it's a right against self-incrimination. So basically, if they ask you a question and you know that you can't answer that question without incriminating yourself, I don't know. You plead the fifth amendment. Um sometimes people will say, I don't recall, right? I don't, I don't know. know, I don't recall. That's the I other thing know. people will try and say. As I said, the fifth
1: amendment is basically going, I don't know, and you can't hold that against me. But I like, I
0: love the idea of somebody not saying I don't know, but being like, I plead the fifth amendment. Like, you know, like. <laughs> I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. I plead yeah. the fifth. I will not be answering that.
1: I, I will like also call. not
0: be answering that. So. But how many times
1: did Trump just plead the fifth amendment and
0: something that he just. Oh, I don't know. I think he just rambles. He doesn't even plead the fifth. He just says nonsense I think he said something like 40 something times. That's not shocking to yeah. me.
1: It's still no 100. So he's not the first in that. <laughs> so. Loser.
0: Uh, so Dave Beck was being prosecuted by Robert Kennedy, and that is when Jimmy Hoffa became the president of the Teamsters. So that's when he officially took over and he was in charge in 19. So that was 1957, 1960, John F. Kennedy is elected president. Shortly afterward, he names his brother Robert Kennedy the Attorney General. And as the acting Attorney General, Robert Kennedy's like, I am going after the mob, and I am going after Jimmy Hoffa. Wow. And he had what he called the Get Hoffa Squad.
1: And this is just because he was in with the mafia, or is it because he was the leader of the unions?
0: So... It's because he was working with the Mafia, but the work he was doing with the Mafia was illegal, right? Because he's doing... So basically what he did um, was he would give loans to the Mafia from IBT pension funds. But he did charge them an interest rate, and so he was making a profit for the Teamsters off of the Mafia. (laughs) Got it. Um, But that way the mafia was able to take out loans without going through like a, a bank. bank. Right. Exactly. And they could just get cash on hand. So he was basically committing embezzlement and like and fraud. And he did, of course, get a kickback. But the profit he was making was a profit for the Teamsters. Gotcha. But it was still illegal. And yes. he was working with the mob to do yes. that. Got it. But of course, that connection to the mob also helped him politically if he needed them to like lean on somebody or scare somebody into agreeing to something for the union cuz that was his gig that's what he did <laughs> he was into that and he did it well and he did it well but Ultimately, Robert Kennedy was able to get some shit on him, and they were like, let's send that man to jail. They were like, we got him now. In May of 1963, Jimmy Hoffa was indicted for jury tampering in Tennessee, charged with the attempted bribery of a grand juror during his 1962 conspiracy trial in Nashville. Hoffa was convicted on March 4, 1964, and subsequently sentenced to eight years in prison and a $10,000 fine. While on bail during his appeal, Hova was convicted in a second trial held oh. in Chicago on July 26, 1964, and on one count of conspiracy and three counts of mail and wire fraud for improper use of the Teamsters pension fund and sentenced to five years in prison. Hoffa spent the next three years unsuccessfully appealing his 1964 convictions. Appeals filed by his chief counsel, St. Louis defense attorney, Morris Schechner, reached the U.S. Supreme Court, and he began serving his aggregate prison sentence of 13 years. So eight years for bribery and five years for fraud. On March 7th of 1967 at the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. When Hoffa entered prison um his position was taken over by a man they called fritz his name was frank fitz frank fritz simmons oh uh sorry i can't even fucking say it frank fitz simmons but everybody called him fritz like frank and fitz simmons but fritz
1: yeah i get it from
0: frank and for for fritz so fritz was taken over for him while he was in prison right because he was the vice president but the Mafia liked the way that Fritz was running things more than Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. They were like, yeah, this is kind of working out for us.
1: So let's keep him in there.
0: So they're just like, you know, we're you know we're not in a rush to get him out, right? He's fine.
1: <laughs> He's getting three square meals. He's got a roof over his head. Now,
0: initially, Fitzsimmons was a Hoffa loyalist, a fellow Detroit resident, and a longtime member of the Teamsters Local 299, who owed his high position in large part to Hoffa's influence. Despite this, Fitzsimmons soon distanced himself from Hoffa's influence and control after 1967, much to Hoffa's displeasure. Mm -mm. Fitzsimmons also decentralized power somewhat within the IBT's administration structure, foregoing much of the control that Hoffa had taken advantage of as the union president. While still in prison, Hoffa resigned as the Teamsters president on June 19, 1971, and Fitzsimmons was elected Teamsters president. So he had been, like, the intern president while um, Hoffa was in prison. But now they were like, cool, Hoffa resigned. Now Fritz is in, and Fritz is the guy. He's our man. If he can't do it, we'll find someone we'll else. We'll find somebody else. So then what happened from there, right? So Hoffa is serving his 13-year prison sentence. Realizing all of his friends suck. Right, right. And then you're like, so when did he get out of prison? How long did he serve? Oh no! What happens now? So by 1972, uh, Richard Nixon was the president, mm. and in he's a, a bid, trustworthy guy, he's a trustworthy guy, and in a bid to pull a lot of like blue collar workers, he was like, I am gonna pardon Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> Please vote for me in 1972. Vote for me. Because I care about workers. And this guy is in jail because the Kennedys went so hard to put him away when really he's just trying to stand up for the American worker. I care about the American worker. I'm going to pardon Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) Okay. So the condition, now he was, um...
1: How long had he served by the time he gets his pardon? So, he
0: went to jail, what was it, in 1964? Yeah, that's when he was convicted. 1967 is when he officially went away, okay? Okay. Then, that campaign started by Nixon in 72. So, that was, what, five years later? <sighs> of his 13 years. Okay. And he was like, but here's the condition. Okay. 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 You can't run any unions or organizations like unions or anything like that until 1980. <laughs> so not even
1: forever. Until 1980, you right. just got to wait another 8 years. You got to
0: wait like 8 more you for like for 8 more years so you don't have to serve the rest of your your prison sentence, but instead you like that's your punishment is you can't do the thing that like is your job and what you're like known for.
1: Oh darn, mister. What a hard bargain you drive.
0: So he got out of prison, right? And he was like, I'm pardoned. This is cool. Uh, Fritz, I don't like the way you've been running the Teamsters. And I'm going to start figuring out how to take back over the Teamsters. (laughs) Even though I'm not supposed to lead any organization like that for at least eight more years. Sure, sure, sure. But that doesn't, uh, like, wink, wink. But he started putting the feelers out there. And he's like, hey. If I just running for president of the teamsters, like, would you vote for me? So he starts, like, kind of asking around and, like, trying to figure out. Listen, listen, hy- hypothetically,
1: hypothetically, 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 what would you do?
0: So all of that leads into what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, right? So think about this. He, he's got a lot of enemies, right? He headed a labor union, which he was really, really good at, but now the person who replaced him The people that he was working with kind of like like that guy. They don't want to go back to the new guy. Then there's also the government, right? The government is like, we told you. You're fine. You can do this. But you can't do this because you could be like a danger to society with how good you are at labor unions, I guess. Sure, I guess. I guess. The point is, a lot of people now have a problem with Jimmy Hoffa. And if Jimmy this
1: was like a Law and Order episode of the people that you know, Mariska Hargitay and um, uh, what's his name are having to track for down for Maloney. Yes,
0: but if they, they, is down he down, they he would a, be like, is he a sex victim? Oh, I, don't I mean, know. those are just of, the notable actors but I know are of those the crimes Law that honor. they investigate.
1: We don't know. That's why they're investigating.
0: We don't know what happened, Stephanie. So. <laughs> Hoffa's plans to regain leadership of the union were met with opposition from several members of the mafia. One of them was Anthony Provenzano, who had been a Teamsters local leader in New Jersey and a national vice president of the union during Hoffa's second term as president. Provenzano had once been a friend of Hoffa's, but became an enemy after a reported feud when both were in federal prison at Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh Uh-oh. In the 1960s. In 1973 and 74, Hoffa asked him for his support to regain his former position, but Provenzano refused and threatened Hoffa by reportedly saying that he would pull out his guts and kidnap his children. With the guts? or He's going to lasso them.
1: Yeah, I'm like, why? So which one's going to happen first?
0: That's the part that he's going to make him keep guessing about. (laughs) So um, <laughs> <laughs> I got your guts. I got Provenzano your kids. was one of like the, at the time, like one of the head members of the Genovese crime family in New York City. So he was like a head guy. So when he's like, quit fucking asking me Hoffa or I'm going to kill you and cut your guts out
1: is like, he probably will. He's like,
0: we're a bet. <laughs> <laughs> Say less. At least two of Provenzano's union opponents had been murdered. And others who had spoken and out. And had their guts ripped out. I don't know about that specifically. And others who what had spoken out kids? against him had been assaulted. Ugh. Other mafia figures who became involved were Anthony Giacalone on the alleged kingpin in the Detroit mafia and his younger brother Vito. The FBI believes that they were positioning themselves as mediators between Hoffa and Provenzano, but the brothers had made three visits to Hoffa's home at Lake Orion and one to the Guardian building law offices. Their avowed purpose in meeting Hoffa was to set up a quote unquote peace meeting Mm -hmm. between Provenzano and Hoffa. Hoffa's son, James, said dad was pushing so hard to get back in office, I was increasingly afraid that the mob would do something about it. James was convinced that the peace meeting was a pretext to Gia Colon setting his dad up uh, to hit Hoffa, and as they'd been, like, increasingly uneasy every time the brothers came, like, the energy was just, like, worse and worse. Like, so they're like, working
1: on a hit. they are right. going
0: to take him out. They're going to take out my dad. Sure. Uh, Hoffa disappeared on July 30th of 1975. So they were successful. After he had gone out to a meeting with the Provenzano and Giacalone family. Oh. The meeting was due to take place at 2 p.m. at the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Township, a Detroit suburb. The place was known to Hoffa as it had been the site of the wedding reception of his son, James. Hoffa wrote Colon's initials and the time of location of the meeting in his office calendar, TG, 2 p.m., Red Fox. Hoffa left his home at 1.15 p.m. before heading to the restaurant. He stopped at the office of his close friend, Luis Lintow, a former president of the Teamsters Local 614, who now ran a limousine service. Linto and Hoffa had been enemies early in their careers but eventually became friends. When Hoffa left prison, Linto had also become Hoffa's unofficial appointment secretary and arranged a dinner meeting between Hoffa and Giacolone brothers on July 26th, in which they had informed him of the July 30th meeting. Linto was out to lunch when Hoffa stopped by, and so Hoffa talked to some of the staff present and left a message for Linto before he left for the Marcus Red Fox. Between 2.15 and 2.30 p.m., An annoyed Hoffa called his wife from a payphone on a post in front of the Damon hardware store directly behind the Moccas Red Fox and complained that Gia Colone had not shown up and that he'd been stood up for the meeting. His wife told him she had not heard from anyone. He told her that he would be home at 4 p.m. to grill steaks for dinner. Several witnesses saw Hoffa standing by his car and pacing the restaurant's parking lot. Two men saw Hoffa, recognized him, and stopped to chat with him briefly and to shake his hand. Hoffa also made a call to Linto in which he again complained that the men were late. Linto gave the time as 3.30 p.m., but the FBI suspected that it was earlier based on the timing of the other phone calls from Linto's office around the same time. Hmm. The FBI estimates that Hoffa left the location without a struggle from 2.45 to 2.50 p.m., One witness reported seeing Hoffa in the back of a maroon Lincoln or Mercury town car with three other people. Uh, That's the last time that he was seen. uh, At 7 a.m. the next day, Hoffa's wife called her son and daughter to say that their father had not come home. On her way home, Hoffa's daughter claimed to have had a vision of her father where she was sure that he was already dead. uh, He was slumped over and wore a dark colored short sleeve polo shirt. It had mystified her ever since that although she could not have possibly have known prior to her arrival at Lake Orion, the clothing in her vision were exactly what Hoffa was wearing when he disappeared. At 7.20 a.m., Linto went to the Moccas Red Fox and found Hoffa's unlarked car in the parking lot, but there was no sign of Hoffa nor any indication of what had happened to him. He called the police, who later arrived at the scene. The Michigan State Police were brought in, and the FBI was alerted. At 6 p.m., Hoffa's son, James, filed a missing persons report. The Hoffa family offered a $200,000 reward for any information regarding the disappearance. Wow. The primary piece of physical evidence that was obtained in the investigation was a maroon 1975 Mercury Marquis Brougham which belonged to Anthony Giacalone's son, Joseph. The car had been borrowed earlier that day by Charles Chucky O'Brien to deliver fish. O'Brien was Hoffa's foster son, although relations between them had soured in years preceding Hoffa's disappearance. Investigators and Hoffa's family suspected that O'Brien had a role in Hoffa's disappearance. Mm. On August 21st, police dogs identified Hoffa's scent in the car. (gasps) Giacalone and Provenzano, who denied having scheduled a meeting with Hoffa, were not found to have been near the restaurant that afternoon. Provenzano told investigators that he was playing cards with Stephen Andretta, Thomas Andretta's brother in Union City, New Jersey, the day that Hoffa disappeared. Despite extensive surveillance and bugging, investigators found that the mafia's members, whom they thought were involved, were generally unwilling to talk about Hoffa's disappearance, even in private. Hmm. On December 4th, 1975, a federal investigator in Detroit said in court, presided by James Paul Churchill, that a witness had identified three New Jersey men as having participated in the abduction and murder of James R. Hoffa. The three men were associates of Provenzano, Thomas Andretta, Salvatore Briguglio, and his brother Gabriel Briguglio. Later in 1975, Michigan Attorney General Frank J. Kelly went to Waterford Township to supervise an unsuccessful digging expedition for Hoffa. After years of investigation involving numerous law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, officials have not reached a definitive conclusion as to what happened to Jimmy Hoffa or who was involved in his fate. Mm. Hoffa's wife, Josephine, died September 12, 1980, and is interred at Whitechapel Memorial Cemetery in Troy, Michigan. On December 9th, 1982, Hoffa was declared legally dead as of July 30th, 1982 by Oakland County, Michigan probate judge Norman R. Bernard. In 1989, Kenneth Walton, the agent in charge of the FBI Detroit's office, told the Detroit News that he knew what had happened to Hoffa. I'm comfortable that I know who did who uh, who did it, but it's never going to be prosecuted because we would have to divulge informants, confidential sources. In 2001, the FBI matched DNA from Hoffa's hair taken from a brush with a strand of hair found in Joseph Giacalone's car. But it is but it is possible that Hoffa had traveled in the car on a different day.
1: Hmm. So wait, so what does he mean by he knows who did it? He knows what happened, but just they can't tell anything because the
0: web is too thick. Like it's a lot of it is hearsay. They don't have any definitive evidence of like, okay, where he was when he was there. It's all speculation. And he's like, I'm confident that I know who did it, but I can't prove it. Like, everything is just sources. It's all, I heard from this person who heard from this person. Mm-hmm. But there's no physical, tangible evidence that's yeah. going to be a, a conclusive, and they sure. don't think they will ever have conclusive evidence. It's hard to do it without a body. Yes. Now, over time, more than 14 people have come forward to claim That they were responsible for the death of Jimmy Hoffa.
1: Like Uh, proudly? Yes. Oh my god. They're like,
0: I did it. Or they're like, they're dying. Like there've been a few like deathbed confessions. I saw
1: Jimmy Hoffa with the devil. I saw Jimmy Hoffa
0: with the devil. But it's been speculated by tons of people and it still interests people for many years. Uh, There's a movie called The Irishman that came out in the last five years. That was based on a book called I Heard You Paint Houses which is by uh an Irish former mafia guy who said that he used to kill people for the mafia and he said that he killed Jimmy Hoffa. They made a movie about it on Netflix, The Irishman was directed by Martin Scorsese. They had all this weird CGI on Robert De Niro cuz he was the Irishman and they did a lot of like making him younger CGI, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, Al Pacino just makes was Jimmy it Hoffa. It really weird. It visually it was really weird. Why did they do that? Um, but he claimed that he did it. There are tons of people who are like, I did it. I, <laughs> I'm i mean, Spartacus. I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Um, honestly, Stephanie,
1: I just feel like I have to say it. Um, he's abducted by
0: aliens. I you killed, killed Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> it was me. The murderer was me. Most commonly, it's, it's there was a rumor for a long time that he was buried under the giant stadium in New Jersey. Right, because he had connections to whoever, sure, right? sure. So they were like, This is a good way to bury him. That's not true. Um, they're the ones that are most likely like, one person said that he killed him and he put him in the trunk of a car, and then that car went into a trash like a car compactor, and now he's a part of a car in Japan, and that's what happened to him. Um, but a lot of the stories end with him somewhere buried in, like, a garbage dump in New Jersey. Like, somewhere where it's, like, it would be impossible to find him. Mm -hmm. And there is a specific... um, I was thinking probably acid vat. Acid vat. Hmm. Um, But a lot of people think he's in an oil drum. Like, he Mm -hmm. was just put in an Mm -hmm. oil drum and buried in just trash that where's was, that
1: lake that uh because of global warming is evaporating it's and in now georgia they're finding, but i
0: can never remember the name of I it
1: i how like mead is now evaporating is. and they're finding and bodies, the bodies. In lake maybe we'll find him one day
0: so even after like more than 40 years of looking for this guy like nobody really is for certain what they're like yeah the mafia got him but nobody really knows any details beyond that. Except nobody for that can... one guy who knows what happened. That one guy who's, <laughs> who's like, I telling. think I know what happened, but who's who am I to say? But it's a secret between me and Jimmy, and I promised him I'd never tell. But yeah, nobody knows what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. There are still, like, the case is still open. It's not a closed case. They'll still investigate leads if people have leads about what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's who he was, and that's what happened to him. Which is, nobody knows.
1: Where in the world is Jimmy Hoffa? Hoffa? That's the new spinoff that's, that's going to happen. Uh, but so, it's only going to be on Paramount
0: Plus, so no one's going to watch it. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, talk about not wanting anybody to watch your show. Put it on Paramount Plus. Or exclusive. Apple TV. <laughs> exclusive. That's my story. That's Jimmy Hoffa. And wow. now you know. Well, that was Jimmy Hoffa. That was Jimmy Hoffa and now we don't know now we don't know sarah what are you talking about this week well
1: stephanie um i have a story for you do you i do surprise surprise i'm ready guess what we're here for this uh this is just from a story from a little ways back uh 1184 it's called the erfurt latrine disaster i'm ready Yes. I'm ready for a latrine disaster. Well, it used to be called shithouse. That's what they used to call me back in high school. <laughs> the latrine disaster.
0: <laughs> you want to stick with that? <laughs> I'm laughing at that. And I'm also laughing at your Men in Tights reference because that is one of my favorite parts in Men in Tights where they're like, you changed it to, to latrine? latrine? Yeah. Used to be shithouse. It's a, a good change. It's <laughs> a good change. Well, the
1: Erfurt latrine, nay, shit show, disaster, was a shit show. Mm-hmm. Um, So back in 1184,
0: use the words latrine and disaster in the same, you know, title, it kind of speaks for itself. I know I'm like, I want to say I'm ready, but part of me is like, I don't know if I am ready.
1: I will say uh, the first article that I'm pulling info from the very first sentence is the Erfurt latrine disaster of 1184 is a bizarre mix of tragedy and comedy. I also feel like this story is fitting right now because the new Game of Thrones spinoff just happened, and this entire situation seems very Game of Thronesy. All right,
0: okay. So, wow, this is deep. Poop, that's poop,
1: but poop, poop, but up but up. da 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 Erfurt. That's the sound that they're about homemade. So it's called the Erfurt Latrine Li- disaster because it happens in. In Erfurt. Erfurt. Sure. Erfurt, Germany.
0: Uh, uh, where else would
1: Erfurt be? I don't know. Georgia? No. There's a family in Georgia named Erfurt. You found that out while you were looking into this. Does that sound believable? <laughs> Do you believe that?
0: So, I
1: don't find it unbelievable. <laughs> Erfurt at the time. The Erfurt family in Erfurt, Georgia. Georgia.
0: Not Georgia. (laughs) Germany. Germany. Stop.
1: (laughs) Uh, It was ruled under King Henry VI at the time. So he's traveling through Erfurt in 1184. And what's happening in Erfurt, I just have to say it as many times as I can. It's
0: such a ridiculous name.
1: As he was traveling through Erfurt, there were a lot of people in the town fighting. They okay. were fighting, noblemen fighting over land. Sure. Particularly, there was a conflict between Conrad of Wittelsbach. Uh, he was also known as the Archbishop of Mainz. I'm just going to call him Conrad. So, Conrad and Ludwig III, the landgrave of Thuringia. Okay. Conrad and Ludwig are fighting and they're fighting over land. Classic Conrad One of them has land. and Ludwig. I know they do this all the time, but now they're doing it when the king is coming through, so it's really embarrassing. So they're We're... fighting, you got land, I want your land. This land is my land, your land is my, my land. Too. <laughs> uh the king comes through and he says, listen, we are going to have a meeting to settle this. And so he gathers everyone. He's like everyone. King solomon
0: in it. He's like, I'm going to split the land in half.
1: While the While the land is alive, I'm going to cut it in half. And whoever gives it up really loves the land. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided, he said, what we're going to do is we're all going to get together in St. Peter's Church in Erfurt. Now, at the time... The way the not sewage sewage system was set up is that people would really they just had an area sort of at the bottom of most buildings where you just had a cistern and that's where you used the bathroom and it just all fell into a hole in the floor in the bottom of the room. There's, There's a, a hole, hole in the floor in th- the th- bottom of the room. There's a hole in the floor in the bottom of the church. There's a hole in the floor in the bottom of the church. There's a hole. There's a hole. There's a hole in the floor There's in the, floor of the bottom of the bottom church. church. There's a whole bunch of shit in the hole in the bottom, the bottom of the church. church. And so, setting up the scene here, that's going on on the bottom floor level. Everyone's coming up to have this meeting up on the second floor, right? You've got all the noblemen. You've got all of their right hand men. Um, overall. It was, oh shoot, how many people? There was definitely over like between 100 and 200 people all gathered in this room. Okay. Right? Right before they were set to start the meeting, the whole room is shaped sort of like a circle. The whole floor gives out. Collapses. Everyone in the middle of the room falls.
0: Falls through, yeah.
1: Falls through. You know what they fall into? There's a hole in the floor in the bottom of the church. And
0: there's a whole bunch of stuff. And there's the a hole in the floor.
1: floor in the bottom of the church. There's a hole. There's a hole. And it's full of shit and piss and now dead bodies.
0: Who died in the fall into the shit and the piss?
1: Some. If you were lucky, you died in the fall. Right. If you weren't lucky, which a lot of them weren't, you Drowned. Drown. They quote over... They say about 60 people for sure died, but they think it might have been closer to 100. People who died included other counts from the area, other head noblemen all around the land of Erfurt and the surrounding areas. The two who were fighting did not fall through, and King Henry did not fall through. King Henry survived... It said only because he was sitting in an alcove that was on stone floor mm-hmm. and not the wooden floor. So he's sitting off to the side and the whole floor collapses. Did he punish those two for starting the fight? They killed everybody. Well, that I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened. We don't have a ton of detail as much as we wish we had.
0: I don't know how much more detail I want.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have a little bit more <laughs> I don't think it ever talks about whether or not they were. Nope. I don't think I think everyone was just like, man, that really sucked. And that was scary. It's unknown whether the conflict between the two men at the center of the meeting was ever resolved. They had something bigger that happened that like came up at the time. The rumor and the way I found this disaster, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that it's like 60 something people falling through a floor and drowning in literal shit. Is that some people believe that this entire event was fabricated and staged by Henry the Sixth. Not that the people dying was fabricated, but that he set it up like a trap. Why? To just get rid to get rid of competitors so in the land, their land and have their land and just used it as an excuse to to get ahead. Why? And he set the whole thing up and left them to drown. No one knows for sure. No one necessarily knows why the floor gave out. No one knows any of that. No one knows more specifics about even what happened right after. What we know is all these people met. They met over a dispute and a feud over land, which was a big deal at the time. And then they fell through the floor and they fucking died. But the king didn't. The king was in an alcove and he was saved. The
0: king and the two people who started And the two it. people who started the fight. That's why I asked if they were punished, because I was like, unless he
1: I don't think they were punished.
0: To to try and stop that.
1: Some out. stories made it sound like obviously those who didn't die were like stuck clinging to the walls, like scarred for life, watching their other people like drown in excrement. But then I'm also like, if this is I think Game of Thronesy and King Henry set it up. Then he's just, like, standing in the alcove, just, like, looking down at them with, like, a slight smile on his face. And then you get the... Next week, on Game of Latrines.
0: I mean, really, though. Yeah, that's some Game of Thrones shit right there. That's the
1: Erfurt Latrine Disaster of 1184 in Erfurt, Germany. It that really happened. German.
0: It sounds like a really German story too.
1: Can you imagine dying? I'd rather not.
0: Like that. I would rather not. Because they also it, say a lot actually. of them drown
1: because they're all wearing like chainmail and armor, and that stuff doesn't like flow. Them
0: down, yeah, yeah. In the septic tank of the church,
1: and then it's like, how did they clean that up? How did See, they pull?
0: Do so they just leave them there?
1: Some people were like, they just put another wooden floor over it. They're like, you know what, it. just
0: break this church down.
1: Let's just leave it. They're like, you
0: know, just demolish the church. Let it all fall in. No,
1: just put a new, you know what, we want. That, let that be their grave. We needed a new floor anyway. Just put on a new floor. Light some incense. Thanks, I Let's hate it. go. I hate it. That's what life used to be like.
0: <sighs> da, 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 da. da. I don't know why y'all listen to this podcast, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you for following us.
1: (laughs) us. You didn't like my story.
0: It used to be shithouse. It used to be (laughs) shithouse. They changed it to Latrine. It's a good good change. It's a good change. Well, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Sarah Sarah, Sarah can't handle it.
1: I told you, before we started, I was like, my
0: story's funny. Like,
1: people died. But come on. uh, Come on. Back in the 1100s. We're not even in that century. Well, you know them? Were you there? I mean, I was. I also killed Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, you did. You drowned him in pee and poop. He was there. He was there. I'm basically Scott Bakula, but if I, if I touch that person, they warp with they me. They go with you. So
0: I went back in time. Which one of you says, oh boy? <laughs> that's the thing, right? He looks in the mirror at the end and he always goes, oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Both of us. Cause Jimmy and you Hop just look at each a- other and say, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. And then the credits roll. <laughs> and that's what happened. I can't really even remember the music for Quantum Leap. Do you remember it? No. I can't even. I remember that that's always how the episode ended. He looked in the mirror and saw what he looked like.
1: And he knew he wasn't home. Which was
0: going to be the start of the next episode. Yeah. Right. Gave you a little glimpse into who he was going to be. It's good. Anyways, thank you so much for (laughs) Thank you for listening to us. I hope you are subscribed to our podcast. You can help us out by giving us a five-star review. It's the best way you can help us. You can give us your money by subscribing to our Patreon. You can buy merch from our website, Dead Time Stories. Remember, it's with a Z.com. You can email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. Uh yeah, but give us those reviews, man. They yeah. really help. They really help on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, anywhere where you listen to our podcast and can review it, review it, man. Hit it up, man. And look out for Guest Toberfest. It's coming. Wah, it's wah, just wah, a few wah. weeks away. Wah, 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 wah. Oh my God. Guest Toberfest. We have a
1: sound clip. Use it. We also, oh, I will. I know. I will. Thanks so to exciting. the lovely Eric, who we also have a meeting with now.
0: It's coming up, y'all. So look out for it. I'm very excited. But we in the meantime, wait. keep listening to us. Tell your friends. And yeah, all that stuff. I'm Stephanie. Thank Steffi. you. I love
1: you. Uh, I'm Sarah. And this has been <laughs> Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Do you like my story? I <laughs>
0: Deadtime Stories is hosted by Sarah Hedins and Stephanie C. Kurnison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman.